Hi everyone, I'm Phil Albertelli, and this is The Week in Doubt, episode 176. It's been a while since I just kicked back and riffed on some news stories, so I thought that's what I'd do today. The first one may seem kind of silly on the surface, but I guess it could have some serious implications since it involves the theology of hell and also women in politics. So it turns out Kirk Cameron, yes, that Kirk Cameron, 80s teen heartthrob turned Christian zealot, friend of Ray Comfort, a.k.a. Banana Man, and uh, champ- I'm already cracking up, and champion of crocoduck dumbassery, has a sister. And I have to say I find her strangely attractive. She actually bears an uncanny resemblance to Sookie Stackhouse. I'll post a pic for the YouTube viewers. Uh, But like her brother, she's a devout Christian, and she recently appeared, unsurprisingly, uh, I suppose, on Fox and Friends. Raw Story covered her appearance, and I'll read a little bit from the article. Kirk Cameron's sister warns Fox News not to joke about hell because the Bible says it's disgusting. And this is by David Edwards, and it's dated uh, February 10th. Candace Cameron Burr told the hosts of Fox & Friends that jokes about hell should be out of bounds because the Bible described it as a quote-unquote disgusting place. At a campaign event for Democratic presidential candidate Hillary Clinton over the weekend, former Secretary of State Madeleine Albright warmed up the crowd by joking that there was, quote-unquote, a special place in hell for women who don't help each other. On Wednesday, Fox News host Brian Kilmeade asked Bjorn Burr, who is the sister of creationist actor Kirk Cameron, to respond to Albright's remarks. And here it is in a quote, anyone that can even joke if it was a joke about hell, uh, Buer gasped, there's nothing to me that's funny about that. If anybody actually read their Bible and saw what the description of hell, it's disgusting, she added. Buer argued that women who opposed abortion rights should not be included with those who are going to hell. To say that they're not feminists, that they're anti-women, If they're not supporting another woman is, you know, that to me is what's wrong with feminism, she explained. That is a turnoff for me as a woman. And it uh, might be a bit redundant, but for the hell of it, no pun intended, I'll play the clip as well so you can hear her in her own words. I I was kind of shocked to see our former Secretary of State with Hillary Clinton. Not that they would be buddies. Uh, I knew they were friends. But when she said there would be a cold place in hell if a woman doesn't support another woman uh, for a candidate for president, I thought to myself, really? What about Coley Fiorina? What about Condoleezza Rice? I didn't see her going to bat for her. First up, I'd like to apologize for that kind of wonky audio. It sounds super compressed or something. Uh, But anyway, I never thought I'd be agreeing with a Fox News host, never mind Brian Kilmeade specifically, but I found Albright's, uh, Albright's comment troubling as well. In fairness, it sounded like the comment was intended to be tongue in cheek to some degree, but still she said it and it comes off as sounding like she's saying women who vote for anyone other than Hillary should feel ashamed or that they're betraying their gender. And I can't believe I'm going to say this, but I think Brian Kilmeade made a good point. You know, there's at least one woman on the other side of the aisle running, too. 
I can understand the temptation of wanting to vote for someone because you think it would be exciting if they were the first woman or the first of any group to be elected to an important office. But I think the most important thing should be the person's qualifications. For instance, and I hope this doesn't turn off any of my more conservative listeners or viewers, but I voted for Barack Obama twice. And the first time, part of my motivation was that I was uh, admittedly excited by the notion of a person of color for the first time getting elected to the highest office in the land. But if I thought that he was a dullard or couldn't have handled the job, I wouldn't have voted for him. Case in point, I wouldn't have voted for Herman Cain if you'd held a gun to my head. Well, okay, maybe if you literally were holding a gun to my head, but you get my point. I consider myself an independent, but I admittedly leaned left on certain social issues like gay rights, pot legalization, that sort of thing. Uh, I actually admire John McCain, but there was no way in hell I was going to help vote Sarah Palin uh, into office. And I thought that McCain's personality or his performance had seemingly deteriorated in a sense since his previous run against George W. Uh, as much as I admire him, and this is going to sound crappy, but he came off as a bit of a <laughs> unstable curmudgeon. I know that probably sounds awful, but uh, during that campaign. Um, so voting for Obama seemed the logical choice at the time. And the second time around, although I had become a little jaded with Obama, I still voted for him again because he seemed better than the alternatives, in my opinion, uh, Romney, etc. But anyway, back to the clip. Um, um, first of all, anyone that can even joke, if it was a joke, about uh, uh, hell, um, I, there's nothing to me that's funny about that. If anyone actually read their Bible and, and saw what the, the description of hell, it, it's disgusting. But... Um, on the one hand, as a non-believer, I want to laugh because she takes the concept of hell so seriously. But on the other hand, at least according to Mark 9, 43 through 45, it does sound kind of nasty. If your hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life crippled than having your two hands to go into hell, into the unquenchable fire where the worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. If your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off. It is better for you to enter life lame than having two feet to be cast into hell. So yeah, unpleasant stuff, point taken. But in some versions, it's actually Gehenna and not hell. Gehenna in Jesus' time would have literally been uh, the Hinnom Valley, uh, supposedly, according to biblical scholars, this festering trash pit that was always burning in order to eliminate the cadavers and refuse thrown into it. This place that people avoided and looked on with disgust. And prior to that, it was thought to have been a place of human sacrifice used by neighboring pagans, uh, worshippers of Baal and uh, Moloch, etc., I think it's actually mentioned a few times in uh, the book of Jeremiah as the Valley of the Son of Hinnom or something like that. But how it goes from being this real physical location to being seen as the destination of the wicked in the afterlife, uh, I'm not sure. I definitely understand how the negative associations could make people view it as cursed or as a type of place you'd want to avoid, you know, the associations with uh, 
Canaanite human sacrifice and later with being this place of filth and refuse, etc. Um, but how, as a logical 21st century person, I mean, how you go from that to believing it's a, a destination in the afterlife, um, it's kind of hard to wrap my head around. But to me, the whole concept of hell is not only morally problematic, but it's textually or conceptually problematic as well. The Bible doesn't seem to have that much to say about it, and what little it does seems open to interpretation. As I've mentioned on the show before, the Old Testament doesn't seem to acknowledge the concept of hell. The closest thing we find is Sheol, this gloomy kind of netherworld where people are kind of depicted as sleeping, not really a place of punishment, but simply the abode of the dead in general. Maybe in a way similar to the Greek Hades. It's not really till the New Testament that we start hearing about the gnashing of teeth, um, the lake of fire, and the worm that does not die, etc. Here's a weird passage from Revelation um, 2014 through 15. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death the lake of fire, and if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. I remember hearing about that growing up. I was raised Catholic, had to go to CCD and everything. Uh, always people talking about the book of life. You better hope your name's written in the book of life. And even as a non-believer, that stuff still sounds kind of scary and threatening. I'm sure some of it is uh, because it resonates with my childhood upbringing. But I like to remind people that, yes, the Bible is an anthology written and assembled by men. And the book of Revelation supposedly almost didn't make the cut. It almost did not make it into the canonical Bible. Supposedly there was a case of mistaken identity, as the story goes. People thought the John who wrote Revelation was the Apostle John. But turns out he was actually a Christian exile known as John of Patmos. Uh, but hey, it made it in. And as I alluded to, I morally find the concept of hell problematic too, as I'm sure most non-believers and uh, some Christians in fairness do as well, I imagine. And, and you know, you try to piece it together and, and apply logic to it. Let's see, you have an omniscient, omnipotent, and according to some, omnibenevolent uh, or all-loving God. Um, why not omnipresent too, sure who logic would dictate, if he is indeed omniscient, knows everything his creations are going to do before he even creates them. He knows they'll be flawed, he knows some will make horrible choices, and yet knowing this, he still brings these flawed beings into being and condemns a certain portion of them to eternal perdition, to this quote-unquote disgusting place, as Kirk Cameron's sister puts it. And the Christian apologists will say this is because God loves us and gives us free will. If we end up in hell, it's because we're lowly, undeserving ingrates. We're the descendants of two people who ate the wrong kind of fruit. Not an apple, that's a Latin play on words, uh, malum or something like that, I believe. Uh, perhaps a fig or a pomegranate, uh, not like these people Adam and Eve actually existed. But going with that line of thinking, it's only right that we continue to pay the penalty for that grievous produce-related transgression. It's not God's fault. But really, eternal suffering we couldn't 
just do with a cosmic timeout or something. Well, I guess in fairness, that might be purgatory, uh, another clearly, in my opinion, man-made invention. Then you have these kinder, gentler Christians who prefer to, to believe in annihilationism, meaning that those, those unworthy of salvation won't have to face eternal punishment, but they'll simply be annihilated, they'll cease to exist. As a non-believer, I believe most likely upon brain death we all cease to exist. But still, this concept of annihilationism bothers me. I don't like the idea of the party going on without me, uh, as Hitch used to say. So I don't know who's worse, Albright for using hell to guilt women voters or Kirk Cameron's sister for believing in it literally. Uh, but let's finish the clip. It, it's, there's so many women that aren't, uh, yeah. that are not pro-choice, that are pro-life, that, and to, to uh, put them, to say that they're not feminists, that they're not, that they're anti-women if they're not supporting another woman is, um, you know, that's to me what's wrong with feminism. That is a turnoff for me as a woman. Yeah, well, women, we care about more than just women's health issues. That, right. that, that's a great right. point. Kirk Cameron's sister talking some smack about feminism. That should earn her some ire. Uh, I find myself lacking the inner fortitude to go wading into those waters right now. So I'll just move on to the next story. Feminists and MRAs argue amongst yourselves. So the next story doesn't really fall into the wheelhouse of religion, uh, but most of us skeptics dig science, so I thought I'd talk about a story involving Albert Einstein and gravitational waves. And uh, this is from the HuffPost Science. Scientists prove Einstein was right after detecting gravitational waves. The discovery may usher in a new era of astronomy and answer big questions about black holes. And this is dated um, the 10th of uh, February, so very recently. This article is by David Freeman. Albert Einstein was right. He hypothesized a century ago that gravitational waves exist, and rumors have been swirling for months that scientists have detected them. Those rumors were confirmed in a press conference on Thursday. And here's a uh, quote. Ladies and gentlemen, we have detected gravitational waves. Dr. David Wrights, I think it is, executive director of the LASER Interferometer Gravitational Wave Observer Observatory, uh, LIGO for short, said during the conference, we did it. His announcement was followed by a round of applause by scientists and journalists gathered at the National Press Club in Washington, D.C. for the status report from researchers involved in the long quest to detect waves. Gravitational waves have been likened to ripples in space-time that flow outward at the speed of light when black holes or other massive celestial objects collide. Wright said that the detected waves were found on September 14th and were produced during the merger of two black holes that became a single, more massive black hole. Our observation of gravitational waves accomplishes an ambitious goal set out over five decades ago to directly detect these elusive phenomenon and better understand the universe, and fittingly fulfills Einstein's legacy on the 100th anniversary of his general theory of relativity, Wright said in a statement. And I hope I'm pronouncing his name right. R-E-I-T-Z-E. Obviously looks like a German surname if we have any uh, German listeners or people who are just plain smarter than me. Maybe you can let me know if I'm butchering it. 
Before the discovery was confirmed, Lawrence Krauss, hey, Larry, uh, a theoretical physicist and professor at Arizona State University, told the Huffington Post that detecting these waves would be a huge milestone. It opens a new window on the universe, he said. Gravitational wave astronomy could be the astronomy of the 21st century. More than that, it may reveal important information on the nature of gravity, black holes, and fundamental physics. Every time we have opened a new window in the past, we have been surprised, he continued. I would be surprised if we weren't surprised again. Clifford Burgess, a theoretical physicist at the Perimeter Institute for Theoretical Physics in Waterloo, Ontario, offered a similar assessment ahead of the press conference. If this is true, then you have 90% odds that it will win the Nobel Prize in physics this year. It's off the scale huge, Burgess told Science Magazine last week. The discovery was a collaboration between the California Institute of Technology, the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, and LIGO, which is a pair of kilometers long laser devices designed to detect gravitational waves. The devices, there is one in Livingston, Louisiana, and one in Hanford, Washington, have been operating on and off for more than a decade. So I just thought that was a really cool story and wanted to share it. Uh, I hope you guys dug it too. And I could just imagine some wise ass out there saying cool story, bro. Do people still say cool story, bro? I can actually remember, like, I don't know if it was, like, four or five years ago, whenever the first iPad came out. I was very into Apple tech back then, and I had waited in line to uh, get a first-generation iPad. And I was on Mac Rumors, and I wrote this story about uh, how my iPad fell off my bed and uh, got a dent in the corner or something. And someone said, cool story, bro, and I had never heard it before. And I'm like, hmm. Did they actually like my story? That seems like a very kind of concise answer. Cool story, bro. Um, now that we covered that lofty bit of science, uh, now here's something a little sillier. It's a story from Patheos, and it's entitled, Wisconsin Now Allows Pastafarians to Wear Colanders in Their Driver's License Photos. And I imagine a lot of you listening are atheists or skeptics, so you're probably already well acquainted with Pastafarianism. It's a kind of gag religion that centers around the flying spaghetti monster, a mythical deity first mentioned by uh, someone named Bobby Henderson, I believe. He was trying to prove a point to the Kansas State Board of Education while combating intelligent design and said his belief, and I'm paraphrasing, in a divine being who closely resembled spaghetti and meatballs, who messes with carbon dating results, would be just as valid as the religion-based creationist view. Although it is widely seen as a parody religion, I think some adherents do claim it's a legitimate religion. Maybe that means not that they actually believe in the flying spaghetti monster, but that it's seen or used as a kind of tool for exercising or testing freedom of religion. Uh, such as in the case of the story I'm about to read where Pastafarians uh, want the right to wear colanders on their heads and license photos, as the title suggests. But here we go. Oh, and this is actually by Hemant Mehta, the friendly atheist. And I should say up front, you know, before I read this guy's article, that I usually find myself agreeing with Hemant Mehta, and I don't really have any real issues with him. But I think he can be a little too politically correct. And I notice um, he's been kind of chiding Richard Dawkins a little in the wake of this, you know, in the wake of this kind of tweeting scandal. 
where people are trying to smear Dawkins and uh, wag their fingers at him because he dared to tweet a link to a uh, satirical cartoon. So I don't agree with uh, Hemant Mehta on that, but uh, anyway, I'll read this article. When Michael Schumacher went to a DMV office in Wisconsin to get his driver's license renewed, he wanted to wear a strainer on his head to honor the flying spaghetti monster. They told him no, so he got a lawyer involved. The Wisconsin Department of Transportation has since responded. They admitted that since Michael was following all the rules, including getting a full facial... It's getting a full facial... Uh, get your mind out of the gutter, uh, photo, they cannot deny his request. Oh, what's wrong with me? I was just thinking that the strainer might come in handy if he was getting a full facial. But anyway, um, Wisconsin DMV service, Wisconsin DMV service centers have been advised to recognize a colander as a religious head covering. If requested by one who, (laughs) a religious head covering, uh, by like a hijab, by one who claims it is part of a sincerely held religious belief in accordance with the aforementioned administrative code. If your client encounters any additional difficulties regarding this process, please do not hesitate to contact me. I guess we shouldn't be surprised that in a state where cheese heads are commonplace, colanders are accepted as religious headgear, religious freedom for the win. Okay. But as silly as it seems at face value, I I do like this whole Church of the Flying Spaghetti Monster thing. I think it is a good tool to uh, help test and exercise religious freedom. So I I do think they're doing a good thing there. And with that being said, I guess I'll call this episode a wrap. You guys know the drill. Like the show on Facebook, follow on Twitter. Uh, Check out the YouTube channel if you're watching this on YouTube. Uh, You've already done that. Um, if you want to check out the archives, you can go to Podbean, P-O-D-B-E-A-N, and look for The Week in Doubt. That's where I host my feed. If you want to help the show out monetarily, you can use the PayPal widget on the Podbean page. There's all that alliteration. Uh, or you can go to patreon.com slash Doubt and pledge as little as, you know, 99 cents a month and quit anytime you want. All right, guys, thanks for listening once again, and until next week.